0: do you ever feel like you're working in spaces that don't support you or want you to be less than to succeed? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Embracing Your Voice podcast, a show for ambitious women of color who have created the impactful life and career they've always wanted while being unapologetically themselves. To live the life you want, sometimes you can't always follow their rules. You have to create your own. And on this show, you'll learn from the amazing women of color who've done just that and how you can too. I'm your host, Atima O'Mara. Welcome to the show. All right, everyone,
1: Uh, welcome to another uh, episode of Embracing Your Voice podcast. Today, I am joined uh, by Sarah Chapman. Sarah, Um, she is the founder and CEO of Trailblazing in Color, a San Diego-based internationally serving People and organization development firm focused on supporting those who are paving the way and lifting while they climb. An award winning and culture learning and culture leader, Sarah helps nonprofit and social impact organizations build high performance teams, strategies, and cultures. She is a certified high performance coach, a certified disc facilitator, and holds an MA in organizational management. She also currently serves on the Advisory Council for the Center for Respectful Leadership and is past president of Women's March, San Diego. So welcome, Sarah. I'm so excited to have a further conversation with you today.
2: Thank you. So am I. Thanks for having me. I love the focus of your podcast. and I think the more we can amplify everyone's voice and encourage them to lead with authenticity, I'm here for it. So I can't wait for our conversation today. Great. Well, one thing I love to make sure that folks
1: kind of understand and and the journey and how you ended up where you are is, um, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Like, who did you think you were going to be when you were growing up and going to school?
2: Mm. I've been thinking a lot about embracing my voice and and what the journey looked like to get here to be a CEO to be speaking on large stages about topics that I care about. Like it didn't happen overnight. So when it came, when it comes to thinking about identities that are really important for others to know about me, that kind of shaped how, how this journey unfolded. I'm mixed race. So my dad is black. My mom is white. So moving through this world in this non-binary way In a lot of ways, and also being a part of two worlds, being into um, two different cultures, being raised multicultural was a really uh, important shaping of my experience. I identify as a lesbian and coming out as queer in my 30s really was a challenge because I'd been living life one way. And so coming into, you know, how do you talk about how do you use your voice to talk about what's what's important to you and, and empower others to do the same? My identity as community organizer and activist has really pushed me to be able to use my voice in more amplified ways, literally and figuratively. And I'm also a mother, so I have two daughters that I'm raising to be informed, to be activated, to be change makers, not in a sort of pressurized situation, but really if you find something that you care about, Let's look at ways to do something about it. The last piece that's really important for others to know is that I I come by this honestly. I, my company is called Trailblazing in Color because I've been pro, preceded and proceeded by so many trailblazers, innovators who are the firsts or the onlys in their space and having to pave a way for others to come and follow the path. And so that's really where the company was born from, but really this idea of moving into helping others get activated. My background in on the corporate side and the career side is, is really in learning and organizational development, so helping organizations transform, and organizations are made of people, movements are made of people, so really the work that I've been doing and continue to focus on is how do we catalyze behavior change and it really starts with mindset and so a lot of the work that I focus on has to do with how do we change these paradigms that we've carried with us so long and see things in a different way in in a, a way that's not so black and white not so binary this or that there's so much to be explored in the in the middle. And that's where the color came from in trailblazing and color. It's not black and white. It's, it's, it's a rainbow. It's a multitude of experiences that we, the more we learn about other people's human experiences, the more aware you're going to be about how a solutions either meet or do not meet the criteria for bringing everyone along, bringing everyone equitably to the table to, to get access to what they need when they need it.
1: And with trailblazing in color did you decide to start that sort of as a combination of all the professional experiences you had you know you had i know in your background had been you know involved in movement organizing and had worked in some you know um, corporate america spaces so um yeah did you think trailblazing in color wasn't a thing like oh i'm gonna do this in my you know my 30s or my 40s um kind of came as a result of of other work he'd done as well.
2: I would say so. it's 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 exactly that. It's this culmination of what I've done and learned throughout my career around, you know, what does strategic planning, what does scaling efforts and initiatives look like, and how do we do it in the corporate sector when we do have hierarchies and bureaucracy and and structures and processes that we're up against? what does, change management look like? And the same things uh, apply to organizing, to community organizing and creating movements. And I saw so much overlap when I joined the Women's March team in 2017. I was with that organization for five years and on the board and then president of the organization. So what does it take to build sustainable relationships and champions in the community that are going to speak your voice into rooms you're not in? And what does it look like to coalition build to build strong partnerships throughout? So, and then I, the more I did that, the more I realized that's what we're missing in the corporate, in the nonprofit, in in these sectors is the idea of particularly corporate nonprofit does it a little bit better, um, but there's still work there around coalition building and not reinventing the wheel, but looking at other organizations, building community within your organization, communities of practice, which is basically we're doing the thing and we're sharing our learnings as we go. So we all don't have to start from scratch. So we're all learning and growing together. And so how do we do that more intentionally within within corporate, within organizations? How do we build those champions, build those partnerships, and create those communities of practice that are going to lead to transformation Both on the culture side, so people are happier, they feel a sense of belonging and satisfaction, which ultimately impacts the outcome side. So, what are we able to do? We know that more diverse organizations, more inclusive organizations perform better, study after study after study. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But people don't know where, don't know how to get from point A to point B because this stuff has been structural and embedded for hundreds of years sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. so how did you get to that realization, like, when you came out of college, you know, and given sort of your own background and experience, and at that point, I think you, as you said, um, still closeted, um, how did you, you know, eventually, okay, I want to get into this type of work did you start off as an organizer like when you came out of college you're like I'm gonna do this for my career or were you kind of open and just wanted to try a
2: bunch of different things I just wanted to get hired (laughs) it was less (laughs) way less intentional than any of that really I wanted to move to San Diego so I I grew up in Illinois I went to University of Illinois for college down in Urbana-Champaign and Mm -hmm. then I wanted to move towards sunshine. So however I could get to sunshine, that's what I was going to do. And so I ended up getting a job with a for-profit university in San Diego. And that's what got me out here. And through that, I moved into the learning and development department as we were transitioning from all in-person learning to online learning, self-directed learning, a a lot of big transitions. So how do we teach people effectively and again lead to behavior change using all these different new newer back in 2008 modality so that was a lot of upskilling around uh, you you can't talk about learning without talking about psychology yeah. and how the brain works and how we as adult learners make change and I think learning is the fundamental piece of all of this we're not talking about learning and designing the learning experiences in this work uh, to move people, to change mindsets. And then we're missing a critical piece of change is people need to learn how to adapt to the new change. And so I also worked when I was with that organization, I, I moved into overseeing uh, corporate, our corporate social responsibility side of things. So I was in the community relations, our, our small community relations department, building a lot of relationships locally and on, on some scales nationally with nonprofit organizations and being able to build those relationships and see the positive change that these organizations were doing and impact in the community and having some some connection to that through the work that we were doing, at the university, Really piqued my interest in like, oh, we can scale social change um, with dollars and with with intention behind how those dollars are are being spent. And that kind of and and I was there for a little bit, and then I continued my my work and moved into learning consulting. So I was working for a consulting firm, going into a lot of some of the world's biggest organizations, seeing how they were doing this and where they're still struggling even even with all of the financial resources. So what do we need when the budgets are big and the budgets are small to mm-hmm. cultivate essentially social change because it's social change whether you're in an organization or you're in a community. And it was around that time um, that I joined the Women's March San Diego organizing team. And a big part of that was I had my daughters at the time were three and six, I think. And the caveat there was i will I will come. I, I'm really interested in supporting this effort. I want to be a part of this change and this movement. The only way I can join is if I can bring my daughters with me to every meeting. And right. it's women's march San Diego. It's women's March. So the answer was yes, but it really like we have to design our efforts around our lives so it was really important to me that I could include them
0: Mm
2: -hmm. and yeah I learned so much and got to really activate so much in me and learn how to activate organizations and and movements in that period and and really that's what led to wanting to bring all of these learnings kind of the amalgamation of psychology, behavior change, human-centered design, organizing, and movement making? And how do we do this to create architectures of parity and justice, both inside and outside of organizations? And if we can do it inside of organizations, especially that's where the money resides, and that's where we can start to even enact greater change. So that's why I work with organizations. On the corporate side, on the nonprofit side, because these problems are just as just as existent in nonprofit, even though they are focused on social good, they're still they're still the product of of our society, of our um, white supremacist, patriarchal, misogynistic society that we're coming into. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we it's the air that we breathe so if we're not having intentional conversations and and strategic plans to do something different, we're going to keep breathing the same air and keep doing the same things where we're we're creating very biased and non-inclusive organizations.
1: Yeah. I was thinking from your own experience, were there things that you went through, experienced in the workplace that... Directed you into thinking, all right, it's not just trailblazing, but it's trailblazing in color for you, like where you you felt like because of your background, because of your orientation, you were being not taken as seriously, dismissed, something like that. That was sort of like a moment for you, well, or maybe like a series of moments or microaggressions, as we sometimes call them. So,
2: yeah, I think about this idea of tokenism a lot as you can imagine because trailblazing in color the first focusing on the first or the only like a lot of those that I work with are have been the first or the only it have been that token and when we think about tokenism for those that aren't as familiar with the term it's this idea that we're inserting diversity um, without really thinking about how that person that diverse person is going to experience the social norms around them Mm -hmm. and so and within social science, researchers de- define a token as someone, an employee who's belonging to a minority, that constitutes less than 15% of the workplace or of that department. So if there's less than 15% of that that particular minority group represented, you're going to feel that tokenism or or that's that's how social science defines it. And yeah. so when you're coming in as the token, as the the only um there are a lot of there are a lot a lot of things that come with that and it depends on where that where that tokenism exists so I want I say all this to say it's experienced differently by by everyone so my experience does not speak to anyone else's necessarily but the things that have really played into my experience in the workplace around that is one being a woman that's very visible on me um, mm-hmm. and being talked over, being taken less seriously, having my credibility question. I also have, I look young, I'm, I'm close to 40, but most people wouldn't assume that. So I've always <laughs> looked very young and that's also played into credibility and just having my perspectives taken into consideration. I am mixed race, but also would be considered not at all points in my life but currently and as white passing or white assumed
1: mm-hmm. so
2: i i do and also straight passing or straight assumed so mm-hmm. yeah there are things about how i move through the workplace and what i'm seeing and what i'm experiencing and what people feel they can and cannot say around me because of how i look and what they're assuming about who i am and my identity so i'm I'm just saying like visibility plays into this yeah and as i'm taking in others perspectives being in these rooms with middle-aged white men who are talking over me and sometimes saying racist things they don't know that they're in the in the room with a black woman because a mixed race black woman but that is how i see the world or a queer woman and that is how i see the world Mm -hmm. and so it's it's these quiet moments of the things that I hear that I, that I either have to choose. And definitely earlier in my career, my choice was say nothing, but I have to choose yeah. whether I'm going to speak truth to power or not and what that career risk may or may not be. And then deciding, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm, I It took a while and I, I it took Oh, a little over five years from the time I said, I, I want to go out on my own. That is my goal to Mm -hmm. start something of my own, to, to be able to create the environment, the culture, the, the company that I want to design. And, um, so from, yeah, from that to, to really working up towards that, but I knew very early on this, this is not for me, the, the way that women are treated the way that minorities are treated uh, in corporate America and being a consultant, going into a lot of organizations, seeing that firsthand mm-hmm. over and over again, like I want to do something differently and I want to support organizations who care about making transformation to do things differently too. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of where this was, it was so important to me from my own personal experiences, but also kind of being that, that covert ninja people not knowing exactly who they're yeah. in the room with just yeah. like hearing what my colleagues who have more visible uh, minority identi- identities go through it's like we have we have to do this differently and there I've been working with many organizations these past couple of years who are on board but we just need to know that this is going to take it's gonna take time and it takes concerted effort over months and years. Yeah. It's kinda of interesting
1: and you say you were like sometimes at different points in your life people knew about your identity, whether, you know, that you were a mixed race, that you identified as black or that, you know, you know, when you were out and proud as a queer woman or, you know, and or just being perceived as just a young woman, but you know, wider presenting. And so people said things around you. So you're in this weird space where like, you experience it, and then other times you observe it. And so, you know, you had some of that stress of 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 not saying anything, as somebody who saw it, and the stress of, of not saying anything, because you were also experiencing it um, as well. And I think, it, you know, and it kind of makes you, I think, I was just thinking how it makes you sort of interesting and, and like the things that you can bring to the table from that experience. In my experience, you know, as somebody who's very obviously presenting as Black is like I always experience like how people perceive me as Black, as woman, and then you know, I've got a foreign name. So then if they're like xenophobic and like, where are you from? Like my mom is like, every time she hears where are you from with her accent, like her hackles go up. She's like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and she's like, is this a good question? Is this just being friendly and inquisitive or is this about to get hostile in like 30 uh-huh. seconds, right? Um, so I think, you know, in some ways, some of your knowledge from your experience being in rooms where people perceive you as something else is, is useful in, in having honest conversations um, with folks about, well, I know these things happen because I've been in like these rooms and how, can you do where you think I'm something else other than what I am and how can we do better. Um so yeah, that's that's super that's super interesting um path and journey. Um and so for you that experience was like all right I'm gonna start something that goes about changing this. Um
2: mm-hmm.
1: realizing in color. Yeah. Yeah well, and it, yeah it
2: started well, I started thinking you know, I want to work with individuals. I'm a coach. So I want to coach historically marginalized individuals, those from those communities to help them increase influence and impact. I was like, okay, that's what we're, we're going to, we're going to have these conversations. We're going to work through these. But what I realized is, is from the, the organizing side, the community organizing side, where, where I'm really serving best is is working with organizations to build the systems and design the structure that allow those individuals to thrive and coach the leaders who who maybe need some additional support on this and also coach like the marginalized leaders too but from a totally different lens and so now it's it's more of a it is a consulting organization focused on that that bigger scale st- strategic and and change management type of work that is people centered and also like human design centered aspect of it like we have to start with the people and we have to hear from the people and people at every level of the organization and people at every role and from a multitude of identities and that's it's where we we come in so mm-hmm. And then the podcast, Trailblazing in Color podcast, came from, we we got to hear from Trailblazer. Exactly. We have to hear yeah. from these equity warriors, these changemakers who are doing things. I want to hear from someone who's doing something over in this sector that we can directly bring over to this sector or industry or field. So it's cross-pollination, bringing back that idea of let's all learn together and and figure these things out and not do it in a silo. And so that's where the podcast really focuses on interviewing change makers who've done things in the educational justice space, in the housing justice space, and in coming into organizations and commu- the intentional building of community space. And let's hear from all about what's working and bring it over to the financial sector or just like whoever's listening, you're going yep. to get something that can directly apply to wherever you sit. So we want that, it to be a source of inspiration.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Because so I think we need to hear more from a lot of those first and onlys who are you know trailblazing the way in the workplace in different industries and sort of following along that you know and this theme of first and only is, you know i'm sure you've heard this phrase especially i think amongst certainly about amongst communities of color and definitely in the black community where sometimes being the first is not liberation in and of itself and it's you know i think we're talking about it more when we have like Kamala Harris is the first you know, Black and Asian vice president and first woman vice president of the United States. You know, the conversation around Claudine Gay, who was the first Black president of Harvard, and her stepping down and, and folks saying, like, here she was at this historically, you know, historically white-led institution, Kamala Harris, vice president of this, of this country that has been historically led by white men. Um, yeah. <laughs> until... Pretty much her, and you know, can we be effective in those spaces as Black women, as women of color? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Can being the first, being the only, can it be liberation? Do you think it's still worth it, even with sometimes obviously the the downsides, the spotlight? And if you do think so, like, what would be your advice?
2: Is it worth it? Is a really great question, and I think only. Each individual can determine that based on the situation and what Mm -hmm. environment you're in. So I think about Claudine gay and her resignation and all of the weeks leading up to that and all that she came under fire for and no matter and it can feel and it can be true no matter how brilliant and capable and accomplished you are as a woman of color there are still going to be these questions of your credibility of your capabilities and this visibility that you have as the first and only is so much pressure. And I just want to emphasize that because I was talking about visibility before, but when you are the first visibly first or only you are more visible. You are under more Mm -hmm. scrutiny. You are under more just, and so that is not, liberation that does not to me feel like liberation but you can still well let me speak from personal experience I have found liberation in using that platform the first the only in this a lot of cases I'm the first mixed race that person that they've talked about the mixed race experience with
1: Mm -hmm.
2: i on both uh, with, with white people, with black people, when I share about what my experience has been growing up mixed race being and how, what a toll it's taken sometimes on my identity, how I've really had to formulate my own opinions around my identity and not let that be prescribed by others. That is liberation. Being able to share your story with others and see that moment where I had never considered that before. And I don't want to confuse that with having to educate people. I mean, to educate people about what it means to move through the world as a Black woman, as a, like, on my case, move through the world as a mixed-race woman. But I know that when my audience member, when the person I'm talking to, when the audience who's listening to me is, is hearing this for the first time and their mindset or their worldview has been expanded because of it, that's liberation because it's helping me to bring others along other mixed race individuals along to say, Hey, we, well, we're not a monolith. We're not, we've all mm-hmm. got these different experiences, but we just want you to think about that, that, these experiences and that they differ from yours. And when someone's doing that, they're thinking about, sometimes they think about all of the other experiences or many other experiences they hadn't considered. So being able mm-hmm. to share, share my story And also being able to find community because maybe you're not going to find community in your workplace, but you can find others that are maybe having a similar experience and just being able to talk about that and know you're not alone. That's liberation. So community to me and community care is liberation because we absolutely need Kamala Harris to be the first Black and Asian vice president. We need to see, little girls need to see her they need to know that it's possible we can't be what we can't see but that is so it's it's so much responsibility to shoulder Mm -hmm. and so we have to have community care around us we have to have a support system around us or we're not going to survive think about that as liberation knowing that you're making change just by virtue of existing in your role but that that takes an immense toll and you need to be cared for. We all do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about it in my own sort of experience having, I was involved in party politics. And so I was first Black president ever of Young Dems nationally and fifth woman, the first Black president. And so I thought about that. I thought about, in that time and, and who I was stepping in, into this role and who had made it possible for me to step into the role. And how would I do the job differently? And, you know, it was definitely for me, appointing and giving opportunities to folks in the organization that traditionally hadn't, were black and brown, and were either in my social circle or, or or weren't, but had talent and were just sometimes deeply misunderstood or just treated poorly frankly, because of biases and such. And I, I think I think of Kamala Harris is like you talk about telling those stories and, and being present and that in and of itself is powerful. And I also think of Kamala Harris saying, you know, her mother used to say to her, you might be the first, but make sure you're not the last. And I think about that too, because it's important to vis- being visible, like you said, right? Like if there is like people need to see that but also the liberation just isn't in that it's in the legacy you leave behind how you intentionally wield that power um mm-hmm. so yeah and, and and what you do with the opportunities because you know some folks who get in those roles and oh yeah
2: i, I do a lot with them <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes i mean we see that and then we see paving the way, lifting while we climb. And that's that's really what that's what I yeah, hear you saying is like using that influence, that new, sometimes newfound influence with intentionality for as long as you can. Like I think about when I when I used to go start a new job or or I, I started to figure out like this might not be the place for me. What can I do while I'm here? What can I impact while I'm here? What what can I change? And what can I take for me? What do I want to learn? A practice that I can take into the next, wherever I go next. And so I think that it's got to be mutually beneficial relationship. So if you're in a, in a workplace and it is not mutually beneficial other than a paycheck and that paycheck better be pretty good and start thinking about what, what can I take from here? That'll, that will help me wherever I go next. And also what can I contribute? What can I, with the level of influence I have, because you may not have a lot, but with the level of influence you do have, with the ears that you do have in the organization, what can you do to, to inform and enact positive change? Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Paving that way for others. Yes. Also taking blood. care of yourself <laughs> and resting. And right. And so like, it's also about like, that's not a lot of, a lot of those in high positions. Never have to think about any of this Um, because they look a certain way. They look, leadership looks a certain way. I still have a very teeny tiny percentage of fortune 500 CEOs as women. And I don't even, I don't even know if we have a woman of color in the CEO position right now, but yeah. So historically, and we know today things don't look that much better at the top. Yeah. So wherever we sit, what can we do? And uh, also taking care of ourselves is And each other. It's one of the most important things, that community care. Yeah.
1: Especially when you're like the first one or the only one Mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah. Well, one of the things you said, um, and that's definitely been like kind of a through line I think for you and thinking of how you can each way, you know, find a way to sort of expand upon some of the things that you were doing in your career and, and learning and wanting change and taking some of your own personal experiences in the workplace and, and seeing that of others, and utilizing that is sort of this, this threat of embracing your voice, right? Of uh, I have come to observe through my observation, like, most women of color go through workplaces, try not to be themselves. They get the right job. They think, get into a school, be accepted into circles that don't often look like us because we think that's the way, especially when we're ambitious and we're trying to do stuff that other people haven't done before us. Um, I think I've come to realize through my own life experience and talking to others um, is that the more you embrace sort of who you are, what makes you different, your particular voice, and as part of that it informs that, it can be... Who we are as women of color, and all of the many identities that make up who you are. For me, that's being black, that's being a woman. I'm very obviously black, having two immigrant parents, growing up in the South, all that experience. Um, for you, it's up in the Midwest, with so children of mixed race, being a mixed race girl, daughter of you know black father, white mother, and 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 then eventually coming out as as queer but uh, embracing all of those identities can kind of lead you to sort of where you're meant to be at the end of the day. And do you feel like now with your podcast, Real Blazing in Color and with your consulting work and coaching work, do you feel like you are now sort of where you're meant, you're
2: meant to be? I am getting there. I feel very, (laughs) I feel much closer than I ever have. Well, And that's not, maybe that's not even the right way. I would say yes. (laughs) I do feel like I'm where I'm meant to be. And I have paved this way for myself. I've had to create it, something where it didn't exist. And I had to um, figure it out as a mom who's trying to create a, a sustainable life for her children too. It's like, it's a big leap to go out on your own and, I, Octavia Butler once wrote that organizing or activism is science fiction because it it's like fantasy. It doesn't exist yet. So it's, it's just made up. And I feel like, yeah, that's kind of how I think about my business. It's science fiction until it's real. Um, and it's becoming more real. And I'm starting to figure out more and more what I, what I'm drawn to, the types of clients that I want to work with, the cl- types of clients that are ready to engage in this scaling work, the structural and, and systems changing work and what that looks like. And and then on my pers- on the personal side, I'm also figuring out who, I, like continuing to create and evolve my identity and how I see myself. Uh, this one poet wrote, I wish I, I can't remember her name, find it, I'll look it up. But she wrote this book and, and the title of the book in one of the poems says, Burn this and memorize yourself. And I Mm -hmm. think I've just spent the last five plus years, especially um, because I think motherhood does a number on our identity too, and Mm -hmm. just recalibrating on who I am now. And um, five years ago, I really got to within the like a lot of my 30s have been burning the burning everyone else's idea of who i am and what i need to do in this world and be in this world and memorizing myself when i feel energized and charged up what types of people am i engaging with what types of communities am i creating around me what does support look like and and that's what authentic living to me really is is giving yourself permission to change as often as you need to your perspectives around who you are and what the world around you means for that. And then it's continuing to learn yourself. I'll be learning more about myself till the day I die. So (laughs) I don't, I don't like to think about anything within me as stagnant. Gosh, it's so dynamic. And every day I wake up, I'm like, okay, this is new. Let's feel a, feel a reaction to this that I didn't before. So that may mean I need a new boundary here or I need to um look into that and see what that means. But yeah, it's it's fun work to figure out who you are. But I do feel like more than ever I am living authentically as who I am and as the contributions that I want to bring to the world.
1: Awesome. And are there any other things you've learned sort of in your journey? Um, to just finally embracing zero unique voice and advice you'd love to share with listeners
2: I'm excited because this weekend I get to lead a a speaking workshop for a group of young leaders who want to who are either in community organizing or want to be or in government and or want to be they want to enact change and as I was putting together this workshop, I, I thought about that question, like what really got me to be comfortable sharing my voice, especially as I was painfully shy growing up, um, very, very quiet, very introverted, very socially anxious. And now I speak on stages, sometimes in front of thousands of people, like what, what got me there. And truly it was, It was a connection to my values so figuring out what are my core values and why is it so important to me that i use my voice in this way well my values connect with equity definitely and inclusion my core values are around community and family and and love and kindness and so all of these things like how do we bring more of that to the world well we have to use our voice to speak truth to power so getting clear on my values, getting clear on my intent and purpose kind of behind why I want to use my voice. And then just doing a bunch of scary things over and over again to get comf- <laughs> get more and more comfortable with that. So bravely. And I one of the episodes from season two of the podcast was with, was with Mita Malik, and she's a co-host of Brown Table Talk, a LinkedIn podcast. And mm-hmm. I asked her, kind of a, a similar question what what advice and she just said get comfortable hearing your own voice get comfortable using your voice and like be the first to raise your hand she was kind of a more more on the introvert side like me and I would challenge myself to raise my hand first I would challenge and I I do I thought about I, I did a lot of that too I before I hit submit or send on a speaking proposal or or they're looking for someone yeah. I'm like I could do that, but it would be really scary and it will take a lot of energy for me to do it. And then still saying yes to that, knowing all of the ramifications that this is not going to be easy or at sometimes at certain points fun. Okay. Why am I saying yes? Well, it's because of the the ripple effect and the potential to reach so many people. And throughout my journey, I have gotten so much of that back. Like I saw you speak at this thing and what you said there, like, I just met with someone yesterday who saw me speak at a conference in Vegas two years ago. And she's like, I still think about what you said about designing, like learning ecosystems for people so that they truly can, you know, be activated. I'm like, Okay, cool. So I think about that is you just don't know what you're, what you're making someone think differently about. And if they, things you're talking about, the ways you're using your voice align with your values and align with what you want to contribute to the world, then you'll get over the scary. <laughs> yeah. um, it makes the scary worthwhile.
1: Yeah. Using that voice is, is key.
2: Yeah.
1: it's I, I found getting comfortable with that. We all have our own voice. We just got to get comfortable with whatever, whatever what it is, right? I feel like those are the people that are, are most inspiring to me as well are those who are just unabashed. And who they are,
2: <laughs> and it's hard sometimes. And sometimes you you have to flex to your environment and what's safe. And I I was just thinking also about well something my best friend Skylar always says. It's just like remember this is supposed to be fun. Yeah, and it's always such a good reset for me because I get so in my head or I get so spun up about oh my gosh I'm not ready or freaking out and no this is supposed to be joyful this is supposed to be fun because you're connecting with your purpose you're bringing a message to the world that's important to you and that's really cool so don't forget about that part because you can get so stuck in the in everything else but don't forget to have fun and and find the joy and the beauty of connection well on that note
1: um there thank you so much for joining um so where can folks find you? They want to know, learn more about you.
2: Yes, they can find me at my website, trailblazingincolor.com. My dog is freaking out. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> she she knew this was the promotion time. She's like, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> but Website trailblazingincolor.com. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. That's that's where I love to have those intentional conversations. So reach out to me, Sarah Chapman, Becerra. And then we're on Instagram, too, Trailblazing in Color, and you'll see more about the podcast there. Follow along. There's a lot of just phenomenal trailblazers on the podcast, and I'm really excited that we're in season two. We're going to have season three launched later this year. So stay connected. Reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well,
1: thanks again, and thank you for joining this, this episode. See you all soon.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Embracing Your Voice podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. You can also find us at embracingyourvoicepod, all one word, dot com. I'm your host, Atima Omar. See you soon.